Hey there, gang. Looks like we've got another mystery on our hands. Welcome to episode three of Meddling Kids Podcast, where we cover all things scary and weird for listeners near and far. My name's Bree. And my name is Cord. We're roommates who met on Twitter in 2020 during a pandemic and became instant best friends. Our mutual interest for mysteries and true crime has inspired us to come together and create this podcast called Meddling Kids, which is heavily inspired by our favorite cartoon growing up. We would have gotten away with it if it hadn't been for you meddling kids! Returning to our roots this week, we will be covering a true crime case. In this episode, we will be covering our very first solved murder. A disclaimer for all of our listeners, this podcast is not intended to disrespect any families, friends, or victims who are involved in the cases we cover. We simply research articles on the internet and gather the information together for educational purposes. With that being said, let's get into it. Welcome to Meddling Kids Podcast, Episode 3, The Solved Murder of Lauren Giddings. Lauren Teresa Giddings was born on April 18, 1984 in Tacoma Park, Maryland, to Bill and Karen Giddings. She was the oldest of her two sisters, Caitlin and Sarah. She was a gorgeous 27-year-old who was always described as kind to everyone. In 2002, she moved to Georgia, where she attended Agnes Scott College. She graduated in 2006 with a major in political science and a minor in religious studies. Lauren was also part of a group that worked to prevent convicts from meeting the death penalty as she believed it was not moral or ethical. In 2008, Lauren started at Mercer University School of Law in Macon, Georgia where she was the president of the Federalist Society. She was in a serious long-distance relationship with a man named David Vendever, who was an established lawyer living in Atlanta. He was planning on proposing, but at the time, Lauren's main focus was her education. She graduated on May 14, 2011, with a Juris Doctorate degree. Lauren Giddings was the first of her family to ever attend college, and she was extremely excited for her future. It was a long seven years of school, but the hard work was soon to pay off with only one obstacle in her way, the Georgia Bar Exam. Like most students, Lauren stayed in Macon after graduation instead of moving home. She lived in an apartment complex that was directly across from the Mercer University campus so that she could spend the next few weeks studying. She told her family, her parents, Bill and Karen, and her sisters, Caitlin and Sarah, that she would be studying nonstop for the next while and that she would prefer not to be bothered with calls or texts. So when they didn't hear from her for a few days, they weren't alarmed. Lauren was last seen hanging out with friends on June 25, 2011. It was only when one of her friends, Ashley Morehouse, called Lauren's sister, Caitlin, four days later when people really began to worry. No one could reach Lauren, and it appeared as though her phone was dead or turned off. Caitlin asked Ashley to go into Lauren's apartment and to check to see if she was okay. It was now June 29th. Caitlin, Lauren's sister, told her friends they could get into Lauren's apartment by using a spare key that was located in a flower pot. Everything in her apartment looked completely normal and nothing was out of place. Lauren's law books were on the table along with her purse and keys. Her car was also outside. It didn't appear to be a break and enter. The only thing missing was Lauren. Her friends immediately notified police and filed a missing persons report. Lauren's next-door neighbor, Stephen McDaniel, heard all the commotion outside and joined Lauren's friends in searching her apartment. McDaniel was a classmate of Lauren at Mercer University, studying to be a criminal defense attorney. 
McDaniel is described as strange and antisocial. He spent most of his time playing video games and was rarely seen with friends. The only time he ever had anyone over to his apartment was when his classmates would come over to study. Many people described him as someone with terrible hygiene. Regardless of this, Lauren was always kind to Stephen. She treated him as equal as anyone, which is perhaps why McDaniel developed a crush on Lauren. But as you may have guessed, this crush was one-sided. Nonetheless, Stephen and Lauren remained friends. The media had quickly caught wind of the missing woman and had been circling around the apartment complex, keeping everyone up to date with the news reports. During this time, McDaniel had given three highly charged media interviews. To those who didn't know Stephen McDaniel, these interviews appeared genuine. He seemed extremely worried and concerned for his friend who has now been reported missing. The people who knew McDaniel personally described his behavior as extremely odd. People noted that he had a lot of character in his interview. He appeared to be acting very animated with his hands. It was also noted that he was giving a lot of explanation while talking, which is usually a sign that someone is lying. At first, law enforcement thought they were dealing with a missing persons case. So it came to a great shock on the morning of June 30th at 9.40 a.m. when police discovered body parts wrapped in black garbage bags right outside of the apartment complex. Because of the foul smell, the torso of a white female was discovered in a garbage bin in the parking lot. The police did not immediately release this information to the public as they wanted to search the apartment building looking for evidence first. All tenants agreed to the search, except McDaniel. He said he had firearms inside and wanted to protect them. McDaniel had went to the police station with neighbors and Giddings' friends to give statements about her disappearance around noon. By the time they finished talking, it was around 1.30 p.m. McDaniel had finally agreed to let police walk through his apartment, with McDaniel present. At this point, Stephen McDaniel was not informed that they had found a body. He was under the impression that they were treating this investigation as a missing persons case and that the police were searching in his apartment to look for Lauren. Police found guns, knives, and samurai swords in McDaniel's apartment. They then asked McDaniels to exit the apartment so they could finish their search. When he stepped outside, he then encountered the media once again. During this interview, the local news reporter informed him mid-interview that a body had been discovered. WGXA first interviewed McDaniel the day after Lauren Giddings was reported missing in June of 2011. Reporter Michelle Casada found him standing outside the apartment building where he and Giddings had lived and that we now know was the scene of the crime. The person that was living there? Yeah, Lauren was my neighbor. Um, we're just trying to find out where she is at this point. I mean, no one has seen her since Saturday. I mean, the last time anyone heard from her was an email that she sent out, and I mean, no one's heard from her since. Did you see her hang out with anyone at the time or anything like that? I mean, no, no, no one has seen her since Saturday. I haven't seen anything. I mean, you always hear noise outside, but it's just people walking by pretty much. And you, uh, she just recently graduated from Mercer? Yeah, she and I, were we were both JD students. Um, we graduated back in May. What kind of person was she? I mean, how did you, what did you see? I mean, she's as nice as can be. I mean, very personable, very much a people person. Do you know anybody that, any enemies she might have had, somebody that might want to hurt her? No, I mean, we're, we don't know where she is. I mean, the only thing we can think is that maybe she went out running and someone snatched her. 
Because I mean, we went at, we went over. One of her friends had a key. We went inside and tried to see if there was anything amiss. But I mean, she had a door jam that was sitting right by it. So there was no sign that anyone broke in. I mean, the door was locked when everyone got here. I mean, we, we just don't know where she is. I mean, what about um, in the like the parking lot area? I know they've been doing a lot of, I think that's where they have recovered the body or whatever they recovered from there. Body? Um, had you heard, any, had you seen anything there? Had you seen anything there? I, I mean, we don't know if this is the same person. You know what I mean? Like, they took out a body there earlier. We don't know if it's the same person or not. So that's how we're trying to ask people if they know who lived there. Are you okay, sir? I think I need to sit down. I'm sure you can see Stephen McDaniel's soul literally leave his body during this interview. He then returns back on camera to give another interview where he is crying. Take a listen. I, mean, I, I, I don't know anyone that would want to hurt her. She was as nice a person as there is. I, What's going on in your mind right now? Like, what are you thinking? Why would anyone do this? Didn't hear anything. No. Didn't see I. Yeah, I just heard something. Maybe I could have helped. It's okay, don't worry. Do you want to sit down for a second? Get something to drink. Police immediately became suspicious after McDaniel's strange behavior during these news interviews. Cops detained him that very day for burglary for stealing condoms from at least two apartments in the building. Authorities said McDaniel was found with a master key that opened all apartments in the building in his possession. It was now 11.08 p.m. Detective David Patterson walked into the interview room. McDaniel was dressed in black flip-flops, a navy t-shirt, and jean shorts. He sat in a chair in the small rectangular interrogation room at the Macon Police Detective Bureau. A hidden camera was trained on him. The torso had been identified as Lawrence by matching a DNA sample from her mom's blood. The detective spoke about Lauren, but he kept McDaniel in the dark about what authorities knew and didn't know. The detective grilled McDaniel over and over, and all McDaniel would reply with was a very monotone, almost robotic, I don't know. At one point, another cop would notice McDaniel's glazed over stare and ask McDaniel if he was counting the pores in a concrete block wall. Stephen continued to deny that he did anything to Lauren. Just over an hour after interrogation began, at 12.18 a.m., Detective Patterson asked McDaniel about a couple of fresh scratches on his stomach. Police said the marks were consistent with fingernail scratches. McDaniel said he must have cut himself while he was sleeping. After hours and hours of interrogating McDaniel, he wouldn't say a thing. Police continued to search the complex, and in the laundry room, they found a hacksaw with blood on it. Tests revealed it was Lauren's blood. In Stephen's apartment, police found the packaging for the hacksaw and a pair of Lauren's panties. He was charged with her murder and 30 counts of sexual exploitation, as police discovered pornographic images of children on a computer flash drive. Stephen pled guilty to murder. As a part of a plea deal, if he told the court what he had done to Lauren, 
the sexual exploitation of children and burglary charges against him would be dropped. He agreed to tell the court what happened that night. We actually did find Stephen's allocution online, so that is what we will be reading to describe the events of what happened the night of Lauren's murder. Just to give a fair warning, the allocution is very descriptive and disturbing. The following statement is Stephen McDaniel's confession from the night of Lauren's murder. On Sunday, June 26, 2011, around 4.30 a.m., I entered Lauren Giddings' apartment with a master key I possessed. I was wearing gloves and a mask. I walked to her bedroom door and stood there, observing her sleeping. As I took another step, the floor creaked, and she woke up. She sat up in the bed, saw me, and said very calmly, Get the fuck out. I leaped across the bed onto her and grabbed her around the throat. We tumbled out of the bed and to the floor, and in her struggle to get away, she moved her legs and lower body under the bed, preventing her from getting away or kicking me. I kept my hands around her throat as we fell to the floor. She reached up and was able to grab the mask and pull it off my head. She said, Stephen, please stop. I continued to strangle her until she stopped moving, and I remained that way, my hands around her throat, for several minutes, possibly as long as 15 minutes. She did not move anymore. I dragged her into her bathroom and placed her in the bathtub, then returned to my apartment. I remained in my apartment, mostly on my computer, throughout the day, Sunday, June 26th. I returned to Lauren's apartment around midnight Sunday to begin to dismember her with the hacksaw that was later recovered from the laundry room maintenance closet. I removed her limbs and head, wrapped them in several black trash bags separately, and discarded them in the Mercer Law School dumpster across the street from Barrister's Hall Apartments. I cut up the mask, gloves, and my shirt and flushed them down my toilet. I wrapped her torso in black plastic trash bags and placed them in the green Barrister Hall trash can on Tuesday, June 28th. Before daylight, I then cleaned up her bathroom. I never used the refrigerator in apartment one. At no time before Lauren's death did I sexually accost her. At no point after her death did I perform any sexual acts of any kind with respect to her remains. She was wearing the pink running shorts when she died and I never removed them. They were found on her torso, just as I had left them. On Monday, I stayed home from bar prep class. Over the next several days, I rarely slept, used my computer extensively, yet still attended bar prep class on Tuesday and Wednesday. I joined the search party Wednesday night into the early hours of Thursday morning, June 30th. Still in a dreamlike delusional state in which I believed at the time, while taking part in the search, that Lauren was still alive and I had not done what I had done even searching the empty law school in a delusional hope of finding Lauren alive and well, as I had not really killed her. During the weeks leading up to my actions and the days following, as I look back on it now, I can only describe myself as divided in mind, unable to account for how I could have committed these horrible acts and at the same time also be able to carry on daily routines. It is difficult for me to explain why I killed Lauren and attempted to conceal my deed the way I did. The difficulty in explaining it lies in only my own inability to understand it myself. I know that it was very wrong. I'm not delusional or without all morals or decency. Yet I acknowledge that something in my makeup, my psychology, my neuropathy, my own particular pathology perhaps must explain it. But it is beyond my reach. Lauren was my friend. Not a day goes by that I do not grieve over her death. 
I'm extremely sorry for what I did to Lauren and her family. I do not expect the forgiveness of Lauren's family, and there is no way I can ever deserve it. No words are sufficient to take away their pain. If I could take back what happened, I would do so. If I could restore Lauren to her family, I would. All I can say to Lauren's family and her many friends is, I am very sorry. And that was signed by Stephen McDaniel, April 21st, 2014. A year before Giddings disappeared, she had mentioned to her sister that she would sometimes notice things moved around in her apartment. She would brush it off as she thought maybe she had done it herself, but it was much darker than that. Leading up to her murder, McDaniel had come into the possession of a master key and would use that to come and go from Lauren's apartment as he pleased. In doing so, he had taken a flash drive of Lauren's personal pictures from her computer and a pair of her underwear. He would then look her up on Facebook multiple times a day and watch violent porn as he did so. On the night of her murder, McDaniel fastened a video camera to a large stick and stalked her every move. He knew exactly what she was doing that night and waited for the right time to make his move. McDaniel was sentenced to life in prison for the murder of Lauren Giddings. Sadly, authorities never did locate her head, her arms, or her legs. That's so gross. So, that is just weird. It's just a really disturbing, violent case. Yeah. Um, it's also really bizarre that they even, like, caught him, basically, because he did dump her torso in a different garbage bin mm -hmm. than the rest of her body, and the garbage truck that was supposed to pick up that particular garbage bin did come late. So yeah. if they if the garbage truck had came on time, they would have never found her body. It's like, by the grace of God, they caught him. Yeah. It freaks me out that he was, like, in and out of her house, mm -hmm. and she, like, kind of noticed that shit wasn't right in her house but just i guess when she was so busy she just was like oh i probably did that and yeah don't like, remember. just doesn't remember doing it but so meanwhile freaky. it was just him being a fucking pervert he did have roommates like previous roommates that came forward after um like all of this happened that like stated steven would like often talk about how he could he thought he could get away with the perfect murder and like describe it in detail like what he would do he said to his friend William Ingram that he would knock a person unconscious, drag them to a tub, and chop the person into pieces. So he, he was just cocky. I think it was just the fact, like, he thought he knew the ins and outs of... Yeah, someone, one of his friends also said, like, he would try to, like, make others feel down with, like, mm -hmm. like belittled with his intelligence. Mm -hmm. Like The thing is, he didn't really have friends, though. Yeah. Like... He was really gross, like... Yeah, I just think he was a person no one liked being around because he was so, like, gross and... Yeah. Gross. Even in the interrogation, like, the police were just, like, grilling him, basically saying, you know, like, you have a lot of hair, it's it's pretty dirty, like, it'd be pretty easy to... Find it. Find some DNA yeah. if, you know, when he... This was before he confessed to the murder and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um... So, I think he also did, I, I don't know if I read this somewhere, I can't remember if I've seen this in a video or read it. He wrote some sort of weird, like... A book! Like a fan fiction, not fan fiction. It was like, like, yeah, someone said it was like a cross between, like, a medieval 
like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter like mixed together. He wrote in this book the story of Trevor. <laughs> Without both power and wisdom, you cannot achieve the level of greatness and fame that you have for so long. Desired without patience, you cannot gain power. I will take whatever action necessary to gain glory. Ew. I think, you know what? It's, it's fucked to me. He thought he could get, he would like brag and stuff about getting with the perfect crime, but left so much evidence it everywhere. Was sloppy. Very sloppy. It's the only good thing that come out of him being sloppy is that he was caught. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, he left blood everywhere and then the hacksaw thing yeah. and then just. He uh, he also was stated that he, like, had stolen multiple pairs of her underwear, and, like, they found, like, pairs of her underwear oh, in yeah. his this apartment, and he had, like, cut holes in them and was, like, wearing them as, like, a mask. Ugh. It's just so sad. She, she was just getting ready to, like, start her life, mm-hmm. like, getting ready. Like, her boyfriend at the time was going to propose, and she was literally in school for, like, years to be become a lawyer and yeah which is like not easy to do either man like that's hard work it's sad you know she was just it was she was just kind to everyone and he was just a fucking freak i think he was like obviously he admired her because she was so well put together and she was a hard worker and like everyone loved her and well like he and didn't she, have any friends yeah and she was like she kind was, like, to him this right? gorgeous girl that everyone loved she had her shit together she was building a life and i think he wanted that also with her mm-hmm. but then was also jealous that she had that and he didn't mm-hmm. you know well she he did ask her on a few dates yeah, and she, she turned him down so he could have also just been like his pride was kind mm-hmm. of you know hurt there and he was just a sick fuck like it's gross to me that he was in school to become a criminal defense lawyer mm-hmm. and literally murdered someone. It's just, like, the cockiness for me. Yeah. And the fact that he was just so sure he could get away with it. But, like, he he, he thought for sure he could talk his way out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like for in his, like, his way of defense was just denying it all. I mean, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I wasn't there. I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. She was my friend. I don't know. Yeah. The interviews are... The interviews are crazy. Yeah. It's like, oh, what a sicko. I, I watched even... this interview of his when I was in high school for my Canadian law class. Mm-hmm. don't know why it was in Canadian law, but... Um, and it literally stuck with me to this day. Like, it's so... Just the way he, like, shuts down completely. Just the look on his face when oh, the reporter so literally is like... So, like, we found a body. He's like, body? Oh, you can. Such a sick it's either I can't tell if he's shocked that they found a body or if he's like trying to act like so like upset. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he gets on so weird. Like he sits in on the ground and is like pretending to faint. I don't really know. Don't know. If you guys want to so watch weird. that uh, video, we will link it in the description. If you want to see, like you know, we we did play an audio clip or whatever of it. But if you want to see his actual face, it's so oh, he's so disgusting. Yeah, he's gross. He's gross. But, yeah, it's really sad that, like, her family never really got the closure of finding, like, the yeah. rest of her body to lay her Cotton to rest. It's probably, you know, in, like, a in a dump or some sort of, like, landfill. Definitely, which is so sad. Well, this concludes the solved case of Lauren Giddings. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Meddling Kids Podcast. We'd also like to thank all of our listeners for all the support. We actually are very excited to say that we made it to the Apple Podcast trending page this Woo! week. 
So that's exciting. Yeehaw. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Midland Kids Podcast and feel free to DM us any case suggestions as we are always on the lookout for weird and scary things to research. Tune in next week for an episode of Let's Split Up. And now for the sign-off. Take it away, Brie. We'll be tagging. <laughs>